Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Welcome, everyone, to a special episode of Revolution Recap, the first ever emergency episode. Uh, as we mentioned over the weekend, uh, last week during our Friedel Out episode, we aren't able to record a podcast this upcoming weekend, but news hit on Monday that the Revolution had parted ways with General Manager Mike Burns, and he was replaced with Bruce Arena, who will now take over as Sporting Director and Head Coach of the Revolution. Uh, we didn't want to sit with our thoughts for a full 10 days, so here we are with our first ever emergency episode. Uh, I'm Greg Johnstone. Sean Donahue is traveling for work today, but with us today making his Revolution Recap debut is Jonathan Siegel of MLSsoccer.com. John, welcome to Revolution Recap. How's it going? Doing pretty well. Doing pretty well. we got the Chelsea game going on in the background. It looks like it's absolutely dominant possession, but good cause, so I guess the result doesn't really matter, so. Yeah, I mean, no spoilers I've got it going on the D- DVR, but I, I think uh, okay. Chelsea dominating possession isn't much of a spoiler. <laughs> I think that's... Uh, Fair enough. I- I'm kind of expecting about a 90% possession from Chelsea today, so... Um, Even them at like 75% too. Right, right. Not not a huge shock. If the earthquakes can do it, so can Chelsea. Well, let's hop right into it. Obviously, the big news is that Mike Burns was released uh, as general manager. That was a pretty big shock to every, everyone who listened to our episode and everyone who was a part of the, the podcast on Sunday. We assumed that uh, Mike Burns going in front of the media and announcing to the media that he was leading the coaching search was a sign that he was going to be retained as the general manager, at least for the near term. So... I guess that begs the question, John, what do you think happened between Friday when Mike Burns addressed the media and Monday when the revolution fired him? I don't think it's fully attributable to this, but one of the main kind of developments over the weekend was the rebellion handing a letter to the front office saying we want a town hall meeting. Um, this is something where I was able to link up with members of, of both supporters groups and do a story at New England Soccer Journal on it. And, and I think for things to get to that point, it certainly played a role. I, I'm not going to go and say it played a, a majority portion in the ultimate decision, but it was impossible to ignore the the pressure, the headlines, the the kind of mass opinion held throughout all major league soccer circles, both media, fans, front office types, players. Um, the revs were approaching a territory where they were kind of pinned into a corner, and and. I think a lot of people expected the Friedel news eventually. It's very natural, of course, for a coach to go. But when you have your then general manager, Mike Burns, who's been there with the club in some capacity since its inauguration, um, I don't know. I mean, he he gives the press conference, like you said, making it seem like he's leading this and all of a sudden he's gone. And, And I just think eventually the pressure came too much and credit to the crafts and below for making a move because I didn't think they were going to do it, to be honest with you. Yeah, I, I completely agree, too. I, I expected, since Burns was the one addressing the media, I, if Below was the one uh, taking questions on Friday, I, I would be a little more questionable if Burns was gone. But to send Burns out there, I, I was very surprised to see him unemployed the following week, too. Um, and you mentioned the pressure from the fans, too. I, I think the fact that the, the fort was extremely vocal on Saturday and they were coming across the broadcast loud and clear with their chance of Burns out, I, I don't want to say that a chant made this change, but... I think the crafts and, and everyone involved in that organization knew there was a problem. And I, I think the open letter, uh, I think the request for a town hall. And, and I also think, too, the fact that they are going to be playing on national television tonight. Uh, I wonder if they feared for any sort of protest or something like that. And what really is one of their few national nationally televised games of the season. Um, so, yeah, I, I certainly think the fan pressure had a huge part to do with it and might have changed some minds over the weekend. The other thing, too, that I'll ask you is, um, do you think that there is a chance that maybe Bruce Arena, I know he interviewed for a job in, in 2017, do you think that maybe when Brad Friedel was let go, they didn't expect him to be interested in the job, but maybe potentially they, they got in contact with him over the weekend and when Arena expressed um, interest in the head coaching and general mis- uh, position, that changed things? Do you, do you think that maybe Bruce Arena coming into play kind of leveraged Mike Burns out of out of a role there? I mean, I think it's all speculation right now. Uh, there, there, there is going to be the arena presser at some point this week, and, and we're going to hopefully get a few more answers than, than questions that we have at the moment. But 
Yeah, I mean, I, I think if Bruce is going to even entertain coming to New England, a, a, a team that more or less, and this is not an exaggeration, has been on a slow decline, at times accelerated decline since 2014, he's not coming in here to, to for this to be his last memory, perhaps, as an American soccer legend. For Mind you, many people's last memory of Bruce Arena is walking off a field in Trinidad and Tobago with the U.S. failing to qualify for the national, I mean, for, for the World Cup with, with the national team. I mean, that is an embarrassment for any coach. It's something that will stay with those coaches and players for the rest of their careers. And yes, Marina did the book tour and the media tour after and all that. But um, yeah, I mean, I think this is something that, that definitely once Arena enters the conversation and he's a guy who certainly wants the, the keys to the kingdom, so to speak, it's really hard to say no. I mean, yes, you can go into whether this move equals out in terms of where MLS is at now versus when it was Arena's heyday with the Galaxy and DC United. But I think when Bruce Arena's on the phone, you, you, you can't say no. Yeah. And it's interesting, too, that a guy that's won five MLS Cups still has something to prove. Uh, and still has is kind of fighting for a legacy because you look at the resume that Bruce Arena has, and it's certainly very impressive, more impressive than, than any coach that we listed on Sunday as potential replacements of Friedel uh, would have had. Here he is still um, entering another kind of rebuilding project. If, if there is one guy that can do it, I do think it'll be uh, Bruce Arena. So let's hop into some Twitter questions because we, we have a lot of questions about Bruce Arena and what we expect from him uh, in the coming months. Um, we'll start with Phil Fleischer. He says, is it safe to expect Lapper to ta- to be tactically involved or will this be a quick coach staff turnover? Uh, and then he also asks, what's the confident level confidence level for arena GM slash arena head coach? So um, let, let's start first with how quickly do we expect Lapper to be replaced as head coach? Do you, do you think there'll be kind of a transition period for arena or do you think we'll see him on the sidelines sooner rather than later? I think there's going to be a transition period. Um, the the Reds recognize that their season, I mean, it, it's, it is not fair to say their season is lost. Um, that is not the case, as, as MLS shows. I mean, they are not going to likely do the turnaround that DC had, of course, last summer when they bring in Rooney in the opening of Audi Field. But unfortunately, in a league where predictions are, are, are never safe, um, the Reds are not out of the playoff picture. They won't be out of the playoff picture and make a firm statement one way or another until really, like, late August. <laughs> Until then, any, anything can happen. So I think Rena will get eased in. Um, I think Lapper is a guy that not enough people know. Um, most people probably before he took the job, most people, when, meaning when he was an assistant, they were probably like, wait, Mike Lapper who? Um, but he's a guy who has extensive roots in MLS and, and with the national team. And I can tell you from being at trainings and, and talking to him, um, not that it's a qualification for a coach, but but he's a great guy, and and I think that that goes a long way in a locker room that, frankly, was a little bit depressed at times in having a coach in, in Brad Friedel that was kind of slamming them in the press also. So I, I just think that factor can't be overstated. And if it is a slower transition, um, I don't think that'll be an issue because this is not a quick fix project for Arena. This is a long-term fix, hopefully, and, and Lapper is a very good placeholder to have in the meantime. Yeah, I, I agree with everything you said there. And I think Lapper made a lot of uh, positive impressions on the fans and on the media with his press conference the other day. And just how he approached the week two with meeting with players and kind of getting their side of the thing, you can kind of sense that he's looking to be more of a player's coach than someone like Friedel, who kind of seemed hard-nosed and, you know, every minute you're working for your position. And um, he, he seems like he was someone that the players could put trust in, which I think right now is, is really good for the locker room. And as getting to your point about a slow transition, I, I agree with that. I, I think between being a general manager and being a head coach, there's a lot more headaches for a general manager. So I wouldn't be surprised to see Bruce Arena look at those duties first and get a handle of those and kind of prep for the next transfer window um, before hopping onto the sidelines. I know that there's about a three week break coming up in June. I would yeah, certainly like Cup, yeah. right. I, I would certainly expect to see Arena on the sidelines after that, um, but it, it really wouldn't shock me if he decides to let Lapper run things for the next three or four games until that break, uh, and then once he you have that break to kind of implement the way Arena wants to play and with his own tactics and kind of adjust from there. Um, I, I think we'll see Bruce Arena after that, but um, for sure. 
at Bilfkin asks us, compare Arena's role to Bill Belichick's role with the Patriots. Uh, are there a lot of similarities and differences? Uh, I, I can't say I'm much of an expert on uh, Bill Belichick's role with the Patriots because the Patriots always seem a little shady and secretive. Uh, but is it fair to compare what Bruce Arena is doing with the Revolution uh, to Bill Belichick and the Patriots? Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'll admit I'm not that much of a Patriots fan myself, even though my, my first Pats game was, I think, when I was like two months old, my parents brought me. Um, which I don't know why they brought a baby that young to a Patriots game, but Gotta that's a question for them. Yeah, exactly. Um, my mom wishes we all played football, but she doesn't know that I'm about 5'8", and that was just not going to work. Um, <laughs> but anyways, getting back on, on topic with it, um, I think the best way to answer that actually relates to the infrastructure and kind of staff that surrounds Belichick. Um, yes, he's kind of the quote-unquote uh, hoodie figure, um, kind of patrolling the halls, so to speak, at Gillette, and and pulling the strings on, on, on Patriots game day. But he's not the only one there, of course. There's, I think, Nick Casario. Um, I'm mispronouncing that. There's a lot of player personnel stuff and kind of moves during the offseason and in-season. Ernie Adams is really his, his left-hand man or right-hand man, whatever the phrase is. Um, we hear a lot about Dante Sarnecchia, the, the offensive line coach. And those are just three examples that pop into mind for me. And I think it relates to the revolution in, in Arena's role where if, if, if Bruce is having to organize training every single day and, and deal with the minutia of, of that, um, he's only one person. And mind you, he's 67. He is not a, a young guy who's going to be able to devote, I would imagine, crazy long days. Um, so I think the, 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 the most important way to analyze this in, in relation to Belichick's role is the infrastructure that the revolution instilled beyond Arena to set himself up for, to, to set Arena up for success, not only in the interim, but in long term and really recreating the the foundation of this club, because reality is they have two scouts on staff. Um, one is full time in in Remy Roy uh, and then Nevelev's, I think, brother. It was um, maybe yep. Sergio's the first name. Uh, he, he's on staff, but his role hasn't really surfaced yet too much um, in terms of specifics of what he's doing. So they're just they just don't have the infrastructure in place. There is no USL team there. There is moderate successes with the academy um but i think as much as bruce can have everyone stay the heck out of the way and, and just let him do his thing and have the people that are support him that's where he becomes kind of belichickian almost if that's a word yeah and I'll, I'll make another comparison too but i remember watching uh the two bills which is a documentary about bill For parcells sure, yeah. and bill belichick and robert Kraft. i mean when he, when he brought in bill belichick uh, the second time when he hired him from the jets he seemed like he had his man that he wanted to run things. And it was the same way with Parcells. When Kraft realized Bill Parcells wanted to get back into coaching, he said, this is the guy, this is a guy I want to run the organization. And I, I get that kind of sense with Bruce Arena, where I think Kraft sees the state of this team. And it's not just a team that's no longer making the playoffs or is on the edge of the playoffs or is in the middle of the table and has mixed results. I mean, this is now a team in last place. And I think he wants to uh, put the right guy in charge. Um, so I, I, I yeah, I, I agree with a lot of that. And I, I think, too, one thing that is promising is that Bruce Arena isn't just coaching the team or, you know, acting in Michael Burns' role as general manager. I, I think they did this because they want to strengthen the academy. They might be looking into a potential USL partnership. Uh, Matt Doyle noted the other day, too, that um, LA Galaxy under Bruce Arena were one of the first teams to have a, a reserve side, uh, LA Galaxy 2. Um, so... I think that they're looking into developing players better, having a better infrastructure, as you said. And um, yeah, I, I think it's very, very promising that they went out and they got Bruce Arena, that they're no longer messing around with someone like Brad Friedel who needs on the job training. So um, John, any thoughts on that before we move on? Yeah, I would just say with the, the USL side of it, I, I, I will add from, from talking to Jimmy Nielsen and kind of his time, with um with Hartford Athletics so far from, from a couple of stories about from the soccer journal. He he he's very interested in in partnerships throughout the Connecticut community and kind of broader New England soccer community. So there were there there were rumors um of course related to Hartford Athletic and the, the the new USL championship team being a potential kind of source for the Revs to have a USL partnership um and, and just something more full-fledged and i can tell you that the team that needs some help right now they are not doing well um so <laughs> first I, win I mean, yesterday yeah well sex technic oh you're yeah you're right actually first yeah. win in the open cup yeah they, they had a draw at home yep um so i wouldn't be surprised if that 
kind of picks back up again. Um, with the academy side of it, um, one of the parts that I think people need to reckon with is, and this is from my conversations with Brian Scales and, and parents and players in the academy and other coaches on staff in the academy and college coaches throughout New England, this is not as talent-rich of a community um, as, or kind of area in the country as some other parts, as you may see in the Jersey, New York area, mm-hmm. Texas, Southern California, uh, Chicago. Um, so the revolution, I think one of the steps that Arena will hopefully instill is really expanding that residential component. Um, right now there is one player in the residential academy. Shout out Oliver White from, from Vermont with the U-17s. Um, or <laughs> Oliver Martin, it might be. I think it's Martin. Um, beyond that, there's not much. Scales tells me they'll have more updates when it comes. Um, but that really needs to expand for, for the revs to really make inroads in their academy. We're, we're entering a stage in MLS where being just dependent on the players around you is not enough. That's why Dallas is so successful. That's why Kansas City has found success. Seattle recently. Um, so I'm really interested to see what happens at the end of it because although it's not the quote-unquote sexy part, um, it's something that's going to be vital to the success of this club. And frankly, I don't think Bruce is going to take any BS with it. And it's going to be able to do what he wants to to make that arm of the club be more robust and kind of fill in what else he does in the international and domestic markets. Right, right. Uh, we should note there are a couple of questions that I, I think we've already touched on, but Mohammed Hussain asked us, do you think these moves indicate Kraft is going to invest in the club? Uh, and then Garfield T. Remington III asked us, uh, Ives uh, Garlicep said, the Krafts wouldn't give Arena full control pre pre Friedel. He clearly has it now. So do you think they back him up with the necessary investment? Um, my initial reaction is if they're going to make a big move like this, first off, I, I, they must be paying Bruce Arena a, a good chunk of money just to get him through the door and to take up two jobs for, for one person. Uh, but I, I, I certainly think that if you're going to bring in a big name coach, you, you want to make some big time moves. Yeah, I mean, we'll, of course, see what, what the ultimate kind of fallout from all this is. But if I'm Bruce Arena, I'm, I'm not taking this job unless there's a guarantee that there's something else coming from it in terms of investment. Um, he has too much of a legacy um, in American soccer. And if, if Bruce were to wake up tomorrow morning and, and quit the revolution, he, he, he would have a fantastic American soccer legacy to fall back on from college to the national team to MLS and everywhere in between. I think just simple logic says there will be some investment. Is, is it going to be a Miguel Amiron? Um, that's really hard to see at the moment. Uh, like Matt Doyle also said, I mean, it, it's fair to question the $14 million they were reportedly going to shell out for Paul Jose and Poku uh, mm. from, from the Belgian League. I mean, you're going to really struggle to convince me that that guy's worth $14 mil. But at the same <laughs> time, I, I just think that comes down to kind of the general manager role, which hopefully Arena navigates a little bit better. But if anything, that, that report, which... Um, when Kyle floats that out there, I, I take Kyle, uh, meaning McCarthy, at his mm-hmm. word. That is a big indication that I'm sure caught Bruce Arena's eye with these conversations that happen behind closed doors that we don't always see. Um, that, yes, the, the revolution are going to open up their checkbook, but now it's up to these signings panning out because they have paid players in the past also big chunks of change, uh, arguably far, far too much. And now it's up to them getting the signings right and hopefully Arena has the ability to navigate that with the infrastructure beneath them to, to really make smart signings. Yeah. And I also think, too, Kyle McCarthy, I, I believe it was him. Hopefully I'm, I'm, my memory is serving me right here. But he also noted that one of Mike Burns' strategy was to um, have bring in players that have a lot of contract options and kind of stack up allocation money. And so he said something to the effect of um, Bruce Arena should have additional resources in allocation money, uh, in roster flexibility in terms of moving players or having them on team-friendly contracts. Um, So Bruce Arena is walking into a good situation uh, as general manager. Joe asks us, uh, Matt Doyle notes that the last time Arena had a rebuild job with the Galaxy, he tore it all down first. Do you expect that to happen here? And if if so, how much and who would be spared? Um, and I'm going to pair that with another question, too, from the Offside Trap on Twitter. Um, he says, considering the number of moves probably happening sooner, sooner rather than later, which five Revs players would be most deserving of protected status, as in likely will not be traded? So um, let's start here. Do you think Bruce Arena is expecting, are we expecting a full rebuild here? Or do you think that he's going to keep maybe the core of this team together? 
Yeah, I'm, I'm just think some numbers off the top of my head with it. Um, the Revolution, I think it was they have two senior spots open at the moment. Yes, um, correct. One one then, international spot and two senior spots, I believe. Yeah, so I mean that that, that is some flexibility. Um, at at the same time, to open up a lot more and, and to kind of see what comes from this, uh, I, I wouldn't expect a massive overhaul really until after the 2019 season. Um, I, I, I can tell you um, from knowing just some of these contract situations and, and conversations with Burns prior to his dismissal, not recently, but back last season, um, there's a lot that potentially is coming off the books this coming window. Mm-hmm. Um, to my understanding, uh, don't quote me on that, but but I'm very, very sure in putting that out there, um, that there's going to be a lot of flexibility. Some guys like Carlos Hill, maybe not so much, um, but yeah, there's there's going to be a lot of overchange or, or overhaul. I think one of the biggest critiques that hasn't been voiced enough, maybe if it has, I'm not hearing it about the revolution, was an, an, an adamant stance that they were instituting big changes. Um, when they brought, what, 19, 18 players back from last year's team, whatever it was, uh, the exact number escapes me. Like That's not big changes. You can say whatever you want. That wasn't. <laughs> um, you meaning just generic, generic you. Right. So I, I'm really hopeful to see what comes from this. And if I'm anyone on the revolution outside of really the homegrowns and maybe some of the big contract guys like like Heal, I'm not so sure that I'm going to be a revolution player much longer. Um, and that should be a welcome thing. I mean, I don't think there's a ton of players who are frankly institutional pillars of this club that, that are indispensable. That's not a slight to any of them personally. It's just that there's a lot of pieces that can be moved and probably should be moved. Yeah, and I agree with a lot of what you said there, too. The one thing that I, I keep coming back to also, because we have another couple of questions about um, will the Revs be sellers, buyers, or both in the next summer window? Um, do we expect them to be selling in the next window? I, I'm not so sure about that because the way the narrative that's been coming out this past week is that the revolution are a playoff team. Burns kind of said that to the media before he was let go, that, you know, this team is better than how we're performing and we need to turn this ship around. I think the reason that they're making these moves in May is that they do think that they have a chance at the playoffs. And if you look at the standings of the Eastern Conference, I think the Revs are something like five points out of the the last playoff spot. They've expanded to seven playoff spots. It's not unreasonable to think that if the Revs have a three, four-game win streak, someone else gets cold, that they can move up a few spots in the standings. So uh, I'm not sure if they're going to come in and overhaul everything right now. I I think they might be having a little bit of trust in this roster and kind (laughs) of they're going to let the current team play for their spots. Yeah, I, I think when we hit the winter transfer window, we're going to see kind of a clean-out that we expected last year uh, when Brad Friedel said that they expected wholesale changes and it never really came. Um, John, uh, I'm going to give you my five players who I think are least likely to be moved. and you oh, can Least likely, okay. Le- least likely, and you can uh, critique me or, or and tell me where you disagree. Um, I, I, you, you actually mentioned Carlos Gil potentially going. I, I have him on my list. I have Christian Pania, I have Luis Caicedo, I have Scott Caldwell, more or less because he just signed an extension with the Revolution, uh, and I'm going to add Justin Rennicks. So you can give me, you can tell me where I'm wrong or who you want to add to that list, or if I'm just completely wrong and you have five different people. Uh, no, I would say you know, Heal. I, I, I think he's definitely here. Um, I, I think he's a fantastic player and in the right system and with the right coach can do fantastic things in MLS. I, I think he's a piece they can build around for quite some time. Um, you you said Pania, right? Yes. I would not be so sure about that, to be honest with you. I, I, I think Pania is a guy who, unless we're talking about a counterattack system where you're really sitting deep and, and kind of trying to get him in the, in the open field, I'm not so sure about it. Because like, you, you look at his career, and the guy, frankly, has never really stayed anywhere longer than like 18 to 24 months. Mm-hmm. Um, there's just the reality of how he's gone about, whether that's him personally or his agent or whatever that can be attributed to. So I'm not sure about that one. Mm. Um, and then Renix, that's a tough one. Cause there's of course been the, the speculation before about him with Europe and, and my understanding. He would be a huge from, asset. He would be a huge he would, asset. He would be a huge I asset. I struggled with like that from, one. Yeah. Cause from, from, from talking to people in his kind of soccer circle, um, so to speak, uh, I mean, there, there is that desire and, and he's, he's going right now to the FIFA U20 world cup. Frankly, I was surprised to kind of see him included mm-hmm. because he hasn't been playing. Although from when I 
touch base with Tab Ramos way back in the fall. I want to say like late mid August, maybe. Um, Tab loves him. He's great for their their kind of pressing and all that is what I think Tab told me. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm not surprised to see that part of it, but I, I don't know. I just feel like there's always going to be that cloud of of a, of a question of hey, is Renix going to go? Because he's a kid who, frankly, is at times a little overconfident, in my mm-hmm. opinion, and, and like you kind of have to back it up now at the pro level. Mm-hmm. But he's an asset, and, and like I was, I did a story at New England Soccer Journal talking to Charlie Davies and a few others who had been near or at a U20 World Cup, and that's one of the big things they talk about. Of like, this is a shop window, and, and we know that for countless players internationally and around the world. But like, I don't know. I, I just really think Renix out of any homegrown they have is the biggest asset they have and I don't know Bruce is probably gonna explore all options so yeah he, he might be better as allocation money or a big sum to bring bring in all that allocation money yeah, and right. reinvest it elsewhere um, yeah and then I'll, I'll, I'll ask you though so most likely you think to move who who is who is on the, the trade block the chopping block the whatever you want to call it who's who's the guy on the team right now where you're like Thanks, but I'll see you later. So are we talking um, – because there are a number of people on this team that I think will be released at the end of the season. Like I'm pretty confident I've read somewhere that Michael Mancien's co- contract is over and he has an option year next year, and I'm pretty certain that's not going to be renewed. Um, I, I, I'm trying to think of who else. I think if there's an option on Juan Agadello, he might be gone if he doesn't perform very well. I, I know um, Juan Fernando Caicedo is on loan. I, I don't think they're going to bring him back. I think he's already 29. So those are guys that I don't expect to be on the team in 2020. Um, if you're talking about trade candidates, like maybe potentially the first person gone, um, I'm actually going to go a bit of a wild card here. And I, I think this might be a, lot of, a surprise to a lot of people considering how much I pump his tires. But Matt Turner's on a really team-friendly contract and they have three goalkeepers. Um, I would not be shocked if Matt Turner, if he gets hot over this uh, the next few months, if he has the starting job and he plays ver- really well, if they send him elsewhere to MLS to, to another team, a contending team that might need a goalkeeper. I, I wouldn't be shocked if they try to capitalize on him as a trade chip. Um, I, I think uh, Frank DeLapa reported that um, Diego Fagundes has a team option next year. I know he, there was kind of those Uruguay rumors that kind of sparked up. I, I'm pretty confident Diego Fagundes is not going to be on the team in 2020. I think he's a trade chip. Um, so those would be the two names that I think that if, looking to move in the summer if things aren't getting better for the revs and the revs go into full sell mode um i, I think they're going to start with matt turner and uh diego fagundes and then maybe someone like jaleel anibaba i know is a cost effective uh defender maybe if there's some injuries throughout the league maybe he's gone andrew farrell too uh, i i think anyone really kind of in that aging veteran core uh is uh potentially on their way out, depending on other teams' needs. Um, as I say, though, Scott Caldwell, I think, is the exception, just because he did sign a, um extension, and he's gotten the captain arm a, a couple times. I think that's a piece that, um, even if he's not a starter next season, he, he might be someone that is around the team for good morale. Yeah, I remember once, I think it was, it might have been Jay telling me this, that if anyone on the team, if, if like, I, don't, I don't even know if Jay has a daughter, but he was like, it was more or less the quote of like, if anyone's going to marry your daughter, you want it to be Scott Caldwell. Because <laughs> <laughs> he's just that night. And for me, I'm actually looking at the MLS MLSsoccer.com roster for the Rebs, and like, I'm looking at their their international slots. And as you know, we're we're in an era of MLS where, where target allocation money, specifically in light of international players, is one of the quickest ways to build a, a team that is successful, either buying down contracts with TAM mm-hmm. um, or using it domestically i mean there's a lot of ways gms can utilize it whether it's discretionary or damn it's it's a you you frankly need a phd in mls to understand all the roster rules but all the international slots i mean it's going down the list juan fernando caicedo luis caicedo carlos hugh uh michael mancian christian pania gabriel selmy wilfred zahibo like out of all that i would say like luis caicedo and Carlos Hill and maybe Pinilla, like you floated, like like those are the only ones I would say yes. And that that leaves you, if we're going with my theory, that leaves you with uh, five out of eight slots open, mm-hmm. and that's without that's without having traded for any slots. Also, so like I don't know I, if I'm Bruce Arena, that's one of the main ways that I go about trying to reconstruct this roster of getting some of these, you know, what contracts off the books <laughs> from these international players and just getting your guys. Um, I. Wilfred, you're a really nice guy. I'm sorry. I don't want to inherit your contract if I'm taking over a team. Michael Mancian, same thing. 
Juan Fernando Caicedo, you're probably going back on loan after this year unless you become red hot. I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong, but that's just a, maybe a strategic point that I would take if I were in his role. And mind you, I have no coaching experience. So Yeah. <laughs> I, I should also add to my list, too. I, I'm pretty confident Gabriel Somi was on a two-year contract. And unless he takes over for Edgar Castillo and performs amazingly, I, I don't think he has much interest in staying around Foxborough, considering how, how deeply he's been buried over the last uh, year. That's or putting so. it, yeah, that, that, that's putting it very kindly. Yes. yes. <laughs> um, but you, you also bring up an interesting point too about a lot of these contracts. I didn't even think about this until you said it. All these these bad contracts that might be expiring or, or he might be able to move on from they open up international spots. Um, and, and those are extremely valuable. Even if you don't fill up the roster with international roster spots, I mentioned last week, um, you can trade those roster spots for 175000 ish in allocation money. Uh, so even if if they're able to clear off Wolford Zebo, if they're able to call up a team and say, hey, are you interested in a 2018 MLS All-Star? And they say yes, and they take Wolford Zebo, um, Bruce Arena could in turn spin that uh, uh, international roster spot and get some more allocation money out of it. So um, it, it might, might be uh, double beneficial. So. Um, so actually, wait, let, let's go back to this question before we move on. So outside of Carlos Heel, is there anyone on this roster that you think is safe? Let's say Heel and Caldwell. Anyone that you think is safe on this roster? Or is, is there anyone that would surprise you if they moved? Um, I mean, I'll take the low-hanging fruit of Isaac Anking and, and Nick Firmino okay. <laughs> as the, the, the young homegrowns. Uh, gotcha. Yeah. Uh, Tejan Buchanan, I, I think, is someone that any GM would welcome into their team. I think the guy has some freaking wheels and some, mm-hmm. some 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 tricks to go with it. Um, I think Brandon Bai is a really MLS friendly contract. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's he's on the reserves roster, which I can't remember the exact like financial breakdown off the top of my head, but like that's a super friendly contract, and most GMs would would take a versatile player like that in a heartbeat who could easily fill a spot ideally on a full full blown like successful MLS roster like yep. number like like 15 through like 20 if you're building out a match day 18 um i don't know i mean beyond that i think if, if there's not a lot of people outside of who we've discussed who's who's a lock i mean andrew farrell's a fan favorite but I don't know. Bruce might want something different from a right back spot. And then conversely, he might like the flexibility where he can be what should be an emergency center back, not your third option. Uh, but Not five um, starts. Yep. <laughs> yeah. So I don't know. I mean, when you look down this roster, there's not a ton. I mean, Antonio Delamay is a guy we haven't discussed, but I would imagine he's not back next year. Mm-hmm. Um, Cody Cropper, Brad Knighton, pick your goalie. Uh, one of these guys is not going to probably be back. So they're probably great trade chips. Um, yeah, I mean, it's re- I, this is going full MLS nerd, but like I'm super excited to see how Arena manipulates this roster and maximizes what's at his disposal with a frankly clean slate probably in New England. So. And not only are we going to talk about players going out, but potentially players coming in. Um, the offside trap makes a comment. Weird feeling Omar Gonzalez joins during the summer. Uh, and Cameron Young Ooh. says, Cameron Young says, is there any player? And then he actually says in parentheses, other than Omar Gonzalez, uh, that played under arena that he might bring in, uh, possibly a coach from his coaching tree. So I know Omar Gonzalez is potentially on the move that that's kind of rumored around. And that actually might be a good fit for the revs. But is there anyone else that comes to mind? Uh, a former galaxy player, a former U S national team, uh, uh, player that you, you think you might see in a revolution Jersey sometime soon. That's a tough one. Um, let's just throw Robbie Keane out there for the hell of it. No, I'm just kidding. Like that. <laughs> Steven Gerrard. Throw, brings, yeah, brings Steven Gerrard. Yeah, it's whatever. Um, I don't know. That's a really hard one. I mean, if, if if I'm Bruce Arena, though, and I'm trying to find a defender who can be dependable and fill in a lot of gaps, I'm giving AJ De La Garza a call down in Houston. Um He's on, the, he's on the older side. He has had some knee troubles. I, I think it was a torn ACL. I don't remember off the top of my head. But that's a guy who I think is like Giuliani Baba's role, but on steroids. <laughs> um, like It's really a guy who, who is a proven MLS winner, won a couple of MLS Cups, I think, with, with the Galaxy. I think he was on all those teams. Um, and is on the wrong side of 30 right now, but... If you're looking for a guy to have a short-term fix coming out of his time in Houston, perhaps, or trading for him, um, there's a lot worse you could do than 
bring in an AJ De La Garza, who's an awesome guy as well. So we also got a bit of a, a follow up question too. Cameron Young also asks possibly a coach from his coaching tree. I know that Matt Reese and Pat Noonan have some ties to um, Bruce Arena. Do you think that maybe we see either of those guys return to New England? If I had to give the like, so the one guy that I think could happen is Kurt Alpha. Mm-hmm. Um, he's he's with the the U twenties I think right now, and um, a, f- a few other people have mentioned his name, so I'm not coming out of I'm not trying to claim this as an original idea or anything, but but the U twenties is not a full time gig. That's a gig that is kind of stop and start. Um, I don't know. I mean, Kurt hasn't had the most success as a head coach, but I think if you're looking for an assistant who can have a great great kind of connection with with arena and, and navigate MLS and know how it all goes. You could do a lot worse than that. And frankly, I also want to see Lapper stay on staff. Um, who who knows how well these guys know each other and if they'll get along. But I, I'm just really high on him as a person, and and I think Lapper would be a great addition to to not just say see you later once mm-hmm. it all comes to an end. So although they don't know each other from the coaching tree, I just think those are the two names that they kind of pop to mind for me. Um, but also, mind you, there aren't a lot of coaches on the open market right now, meaning assistants who Arena might know. So you kind of probably have to wait and see fully until the offseason when maybe some moves can happen here or there. Yeah. Um, it should also be noted, too, that the U20 World Cup is going to be next month. So coming out of that international break, it might be a good time for an Alfo to make a move. And there, there's the revs with Bruce Arena. So the timing actually kind of lines up, uh, uh, whereas other coaches uh, kind of have their hands tied at the moment. Um, Zachary Grimes asks us, what kind of starting lineup will we see from Arena? Uh, and Randy LH, on a similar path, says, will we uh, will Arena significantly change the revs' tactics this season, or will we have to wait until 2020 to see his vision? Um, my kind of inclination is that we might see Bruce Arena towards the end of the season, if the revs aren't in playoff picture, play the kids uh, and kind of see what potential we have in the uh, young group coming up. Um, outside of that, I have absolutely no idea what to expect from Bruce Arena. Uh, John, do you have any sort of guess <laughs> to what, what Bruce Arena... We, we were trying to take a guess to what Arena the GM could do. Um, do you have any idea what Arena the head coach will do? Out of the gate, just simple the hell out, simplify the hell out of it. Um, that's one that Revs, I think, are actually going to be at their best regardless of who the coach is because the Revs are... hate to break it to anyone who's a fan. Like They're not going to play anybody off the field right now. Um, they just don't have the talent to do that. But I think what Arena's teams always did so well is they just had an identity of playing simple but effective soccer. And I, I think back to when he had... I mean, these weren't household names. Uh, uh, Janino with LA Galaxy. Stefan Ishizaki. Um, what's his name? Uh, it escapes me right now. But just like these other guys who like they aren't world-class footballers but they just played simple soccer and it was so effective, of course, with a couple of difference makers, mind you, with a Beckham and a Donovan and a Keane and for better or for worse, Gerard at some points. Uh, but at the same time, like I, I just don't see anything else happening. I, others have said, and I, I've only spoken to Bruce Arena once while covering a national team game, so I won't pretend to know him well, but I just don't see him being this tactical mastermind to, to overhaul it. I, I would just expect, like I said, some really simple soccer that can be effective at times. That is also kind of touching upon a criticism I've been hearing a little bit over the past few days. And a lot of people are saying that the game is kind of past Bruce Arena by, and a lot of people are kind of criticizing that hiring, saying you know they should have gone with someone with new blood, with more creative ideas. Um, do you think that is a flaw in this hiring in Bruce Arena, or do you not really give that much weight? I would say yes and no. Um, probably leaning more towards I don't buy that criticism mm-hmm. because any coach who's had success at this level, they have tactical nuances. They aren't just going to roll out an archaic four four two with banks of four and, and say, okay, we're going to lump it up to the strikers and like, like this is not this is not League Two soccer in the UK. Um, we're we're not going to see like just bump it up to the big guy with the head. Um, like like there's going to be some sort of identity and, and sophistication to it. But I don't know. I, I just feel like that critique is kind of rooted in the belief that, that Arena isn't almost smart enough, might be the right phrase, to, to navigate some of the intricacies of MLS. I mean, I was watching a little bit of the 
Toronto DC United game going on on Wednesday night right now as we're recording and one of the main points that they were talking about and I think it's spot on with kind of neutralizing a guy like like Pozuelo at, at TFC is if you force to play wide and there they're kind of outside backs to to beat you and then really kind of mess it up in the middle of the, of the park and, and neutralize Pozuelo like that can be a tactical adjustment that most coaches at this level can make but to almost assert, in my opinion, that Arena like doesn't have the depth of understanding of soccer to do that, like I don't, know. I just think that's just not fair. Um, so I'm I'm in defensive Arena on this one and think that he'll have enough kind of layers to it to, to hit a winning formula at times um, as much as he can with the roster that's currently there. Yeah. Um, another thing too, another hypothesis that I think is going around too that I'll throw out at you. Um, I mean, Bruce Arena is 67 years old. This is a long-term rebuild, it looks like, right now. Obviously, we, we talked about how Bruce Arena's duties are going to have to go far beyond the Gillette Stadium field. He's going to have to kind of expand this team all the way around and, and build this infrastructure. Do you foresee, do you, do you think the possibility of maybe Bruce Arena coaching this team one, two years, and then maybe passing the team, remaining as GM and passing uh, the head coaching duties on to someone else, do you think that might have some weight down the road? Yeah, I have a lot of stock in that theory. Um, I I think the arena is nearing the end of his coaching career, and there's nothing wrong with that. But this is not a long-term job in all likelihood for Bruce Arena. This is creating the the foundation for the house. This is creating the, the layers of the organization and, and framework that ideally comes with, of course, some investment from the crafts, and we all know the, the conversations on that end. But I don't think Arena's in this for five, six, seven years. I think he's in it for a couple. Um, and frankly, catching this organization up with the rest of MLS and laying a, a, a foundation, a, a, a groundwork, a, a roadmap for success. Um, I mean, that's, of course, an optimistic viewpoint. But with a guy like Arena's title right now of sporting director and head coach, um, I think that he's going to have the ability to do that. And if he can't, then frankly, his tenure will be a failure. Um, but I'm confident that he will be able to as well. So yeah. I think if there's anyone that can do it, I think it's Bruce Arena. So um, our last question comes from Tuka Rask is God. He says, why do the crafts love? <laughs> I, I know it's uh, probably not his real name, but um, why do the crafts love lacrosse guys? First Chris Hogan and now Bruce Arena. And I'd also throw in there Bill Belichick. Bill Belichick, I don't know if you ever played lacrosse, but I think certainly would call him a lacrosse guy. He certainly loves the sport. So um, any particular insight to why the crafts love uh, lacrosse guys? I don't know. But, like, yeah, it's it's right on. Yeah, Chris Hogan, when he was with the Patriots, I think he played at, like, Penn State or something. Yep. Um, and then the Belichick family, he has a daughter that coaches right now the, the women's lacrosse team at Holy Cross. And when I think – Bill Belichick's like super close with the the Johns Hopkins men coach. Mm. Um, his whenever there's there were the Final Fours these last couple of years at Gillette and other years like Belichick would always make an appearance. I don't know, man. <laughs> I wish I knew. I'm I'm a guy who played lacrosse growing up a little bit and cover the sport some now, but and I, I think it is a sport that deserves a little bit more love than it gets. But I don't know, like. But I, I will say I would pay good money to see Bruce Arena with a lacrosse stick right now. And I actually Googled it as I'm sitting here, Bruce Arena, Bruce Arena playing. And, like, there's a there's a photo that comes up of him, and I think it's at – the jersey might say brown. Um, I don't know. There's – there's yeah, do you know that I – don't, I, don't, don't, I don't know if this is right, but did you know LA Galaxy – this is a long time ago. LA Galaxy manager Bruce Arena won gold with USA in 74 but also played box lacrosse in the original NLL. Um, I don't know. This is like going way back in the archives, but I think it's super cool and just a, a wrinkle that shows that like this isn't just some old guy who knows soccer. This is like – I don't know. I, I, I find it cool. Maybe it's the, 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 the lacrosse fan in me, but – it's kind of cool to see this, and the the sticks. I'll just tell you, they look weird. They're like made out of like like wood, and have this like it looks like almost like rope mesh. Like it's just like that thing looks like it could snap in two. But uh, the equipment's cool. been upgraded a little bit over time. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I will say too. I just Wikipedia Bruce Arena, and if he was. Uh, in a brown jersey, I think that's a bit of a cardinal sin because uh, he he went to Cornell. So I don't know. That's okay. Maybe that's... yeah. Maybe my my eyes deceive me or something. I'm yeah. I'm book. Um, oh, never mind. 
Just okay. wrong that, one, but yeah. I'm, I was going to say not very loyal for an Ivy grad, but... Yeah, I'm, I'm reading this from... Okay, it was a brown lacrosse photo from a U.S. lacrosse magazine article. Uh, they, meaning a Cornell team. They were undefeated in the Ivy League play in the three years prior to arriving in Providence for a game against Brown in 1973. Bruce Arena was the captain and the star of a heavy favorite who anticipated keeping that streak alive. So Bruce Arena with lacrosse roots in the Ivy League. That's cool. I think this also means we need somehow, I don't care if it's for charity or whatever, but we need like lacrosse face-offs with Bruce Arena and Bill Belichick. Just do like a best of seven or something like that. I think that oh, gives yeah. eyeballs. Hoodies we we got to do a skills competition too. and everything. Oh, definitely. I, I, I want to see it like during past preseason. Like we'll just have like some day where they bring out like, like or even better, like I, I got an idea. Ar- Arena is coach for the Reds lacrosse team, and mm-hmm. then Belichick is the coach for the Patriots one, <laughs> and we'll see who wins. Like like big, strong guys versus small, quick guys. I don't know how it would go, but it'd be cool to watch. So This is a million-dollar idea. This would fill Gillette Stadium. I just, oh, definitely. Oh. This would be like, this is like, screw the Taylor Swift concert or whatever. Like, this is what's <laughs> going to sell it out. Absolutely. Cancel the Taylor Swift concert <laughs> for this game. Um, so before we wrap up, uh, I, I want to get a grade. I, I also want to throw out a, a bit of a note. I want to uh, give credit to Six States One Podcast. They had another episode coming out earlier this week. Um, they had Frank DeLapa and Stan- Sam Steichel of The Athletic, and they both gave some very, very interesting insight about the, the firing of Mike Burns and um, Sam Steichel. I uh, hope I'm mispronouncing that name terribly. I am so sorry, Sam. Uh, but he, he did say <laughs> that. He said that um, he made a comment to the effect of the he, he's heard from multiple people that the Revs will invest like Atlanta uh, when they get a stadium soon. Um, and I, I just wanted to throw that in. I know we talked about um, the crafts giving arena the resources and and finally investing in this team uh, and so I, I I didn't want to let this episode go without at least noting um, that he was on the record saying that uh, I, I think that's a really really positive development uh, for the revolution and for their fans um, so just wanted to throw that bit of a caveat out there um, but before we go John I, I want to get your grade on this hiring um, Friedel burns out replaced with Bruce arena not just GM head coach just the whole thing um, is it an A plus for the Revs? Couldn't have done better, or C D ish? Where you have your concerns? I'm gonna give it a B plus right now, um, and then with an extra credit assignment down the road, could it usually easily bump up? Uh, I, I, I think it's a really great signing, but they're fair questions to ask if Arena can navigate successfully the version of MLS he's entering versus the one he had success in. Um, I mean, I guess that's what the job is, and that's how it's going to be fair to judge him. But I think it's a really solid hire, and frankly, anyone who says this is like a failure, or, oh, what about Trinidad? Like, come on. Like, yeah. like let's, 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 get, let's get a little bit more, frankly, mature in the responsive analysis. Um, so that's maybe that's me being harsh, but like, I, I just think anyone who looks at this and says, oh, FD, whatever, like, no, just yeah. not buying it. And even if you want to, the way I kind of see it, even if you don't want to give them full marks for bringing in a coach, even if, I mean, I I don't buy the argument that Bruce Arena is a bad coach. He's going to be either a good coach or a great coach. So from that perspective, I I think too, as a bringing him in as a GM, you know, he's dealt with other teams. He's constructed a roster before. I, I think he's going to make the revolution from one of the least active teams on the trade market to one of the top teams on the trade market. I think he's got connections all throughout the country. Uh, and I, I, I just think that we're going to see the roster reconstructed in a way we haven't seen in a really, really long time. So um, yeah, I, I might go a little bit more positive than you. I go a minus. I think he's going to make a really, really strong impact, strong impact uh, as a GM. Uh, and I think that was where they were kind of sorely lacking. So um, John, before we go, uh, why don't you give us your, uh, where people can find you on Twitter. Uh, and do you have any closing thoughts before we wrap up this podcast? Yeah, it's uh, it's at Jonathan Siegel, last name spelled S-I-G-A-L, uh, real simple. And then just closing thoughts being, um, it was a wild four or five days uh, from from the, <laughs> the that's all I just got to say. Like the, the revs also then, and I mean, we all, we all know what I'm referring to with the Chicago loss, mm-hmm. the, Great was 18 goals against in three games or something, whatever the number was. In four games, it might, I think it was four games. Mm-hmm. Um, then Friedel gone. Burns saying he's leading the charge. Nope, just kidding. Burns is fired. Mm-hmm. The arena rumor. Oh, arena's hired. Oh, then you're playing Chelsea. Like, like holy crap, what mm-hmm. a week to be covering and following this team. And 
Um, another comment just being the revs just got a hell of a lot more relevant in MLS. Mm-hmm. Um, I can tell you from working even for the league site, which is sometimes, let's just say, um, it does favor some teams that maybe are most <laughs> talked about by the by the league, uh, by, by fans of the league. Um, the revs went from about, and this is not an official number by any means, no one take it at that, at like number like 22 or 23 out of 24 in terms of most interesting or relevant, to all of a sudden vaulting away up there just by making this move. And there is way more national attention. There's way more local attention. And there's a conversation that, that'll stretch for a long time with as we were mapping out and discussing maybe some of the roster strategies and approaches that Arena takes. So that's all I got to say is in, in the matter of a week, it went from emotional highs and lows to, holy crap, this team matters again. Yeah, I think the most, I'll, I'll go ahead and make the joke. I don't want to get you in trouble, but I think the most that we saw MLS talk about the Revs was when Atlanta beat them prior to the Bruce Arena hiring and Brad Friedel being let go. So the the fact that, yeah, every day, I mean, even if you just go to MLS Reddit, there's been a revolution story up there every day for the past week, it seems like. And, uh, you know, it's also crazy to think about Julian Cardillo's story about uh, Gabriel Somi and potentially being traded to Cincinnati and that not going through. That was nine days ago, and somehow it feels like it was years ago. Um, just to give a context of, you know, that really was not a very long time ago, and if that came out at any other time of the season, you know, we'd be referencing it over, you know, probably three, four episodes down the road. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it's been a wild, wild ride. The Mapoku transfer fell through eight days ago. Um, or oh, the yeah, reports forgot, of that came forgot to say that. Yeah. Oh my goodness. So yeah, it's been, it's been a crazy, crazy week and a half. Um, and as I say, we don't have another episode coming out for another week and a half. So hopefully that's it for news. Hopefully there's no stadium announcement on Friday. Cause we really can't do another episode after this. So <laughs> I'm really holding on that this is it, but. Anyway, uh, that wraps us up today. Um, you can follow us at Revolution Recap on Twitter. You can also like our Revolution Recap Facebook page. Uh, please leave us a review on iTunes or wherever you're listening. Normally when we do emergency episodes, I ask for reviews beforehand, kind of as like a bribe. Um, and today we're doing the honor system. We're releasing this first, and we're really trusting you guys to go and review after you listen to the podcast. So uh, review on iTunes or wherever you're listening. Um, as I say, we'll be back in about 10 days to recap the DC United game. But until then, thank you all for listening. And go Rebs. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.